something isn't real. Something about this whole reality thing isn't right. And so simulated reality is a theory that we are living in a computer simulation. that the Earth as we know it is really simulated. Some really advanced civilization from the future created a computer game, a virtual reality, and we go there for whatever reason, maybe to learn, maybe it's education or whatever. That's the theory of simulated reality, and it seems to answer all kinds of questions because you think of the universe as data as opposed to matter and time and space, and that was the argument that Bohr and Einstein got into. Afternoon podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Robert Adamson. He is a computer programmer and a science fiction author and a regular contributor to Hacker Noon. In this episode, we discuss everything from his latest app, which helps you identify aliens, we'll explain later, and we discuss everything from ancient civilizations to how we can use machine learning and artificial intelligence to help us rediscover our past. This is an amazing episode, so please stay tuned. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically they give us a machine and we run a dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. With DigitalOcean, they have a marketplace where you just click, I want discourse. You provision a droplet and you're good to go. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Robert. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Hey, Trent. Good to be with you again. Good to be this with you. This is fun. We get, we get into some fun stuff. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, we had a conversation. I think we talked for about two hours <laughs> the first time we talked. So yep. I found you on Hacker Noon because you were writing some, some pretty interesting articles. You want to tell us a bit about those? Well, yeah, I like writing on Hacker Noon. Well, I'm a sci-fi. I've written a sci-fi novel. And so I found Hacker Noon is a great place to just write stuff. And for some reason, they published it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and some of them took off, you know, some people liked it. And, but anyway, that's, uh, I, I like writing. And I'm a computer programmer. So it's a good chance for me to learn how to write. Yeah. And do you want to talk about some of the, the content of some of the articles you got into a little bit there? Yeah, well, I wrote an article about um, hacking the universe. Mm -hmm. There's these billionaires in Silicon Valley that are trying to live forever. And they have this theory that we live in a simulated reality. So if they could somehow communicate with the next level, <laughs> you know, I mean, it sounds crazy, but this, this is serious stuff, you know? Anyway, I wrote, a, I wrote an article about that. It was called Hacking the Universe on Hacker Noon. Then I wrote another article called... Um, it was about quantum mechanics and simulated reality. Mm -hmm. And that one stirred up a lot of attention. I got like 25,000 views or something like that. Yeah, I read that one. That and, was a good one. And it was, and they, you know, and it was fascinating because in 1929, Einstein and Bohr got in this big debate, you know, about what, you know, about what, we're, what, what is this reality we find ourselves in? 
and Einstein believed in time and space and, you know, and he liked the, the thought of, of there was a limit to the speed of light. And Bohr is over here going, well, wait a minute, there's quantum mechanics and these are, there's entanglements and we don't care about the speed of light. We can, we can communicate instantly no matter how far away things are. Yeah. So his theory was more like simulated reality. And then they did these experiments, and it looks like Bohr was probably right. <laughs> I've always leaned a little bit more towards Tesla myself, you know, energy, frequency, and vibration as being the keys to the universe. And that also is compatible with quantum mechanics theory. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, I love Tesla. Yeah, Tesla. What, what a great, fascinating character. Yeah. So, and uh, anyway, that's kind of what I write about. I write about weird stuff. <laughs> well, and you've, you've written quite a bit about aliens as well. You want to talk about that? Well, I lately I have. I, I'm, a, I'm an ancient programmer who's gotten pulled into this ancient astronaut stuff somehow. <laughs> what, I, what I did is I, well, I, I, was, I started, I started, I was curious about um, machine learning and, and uh, style transfers and augmented reality and death mask cameras and stuff. And I thought, and IBM asked me to write an article on Medium, actually. So I wrote an article called, Apple Loves IBM to the Core ML. <laughs> I mean, I was Watson to the Core ML. And what it did was it talked about how Watson, machine learning and, and, and um, you know, an image recognition works with Apple's Core ML. And mm -hmm. you can train it up on the, on the web, then you can download it to the local device. And so I was thinking, well, what can I do that would make this interesting? And I, for some reason, I started writing, I, start, I started working on an app that can help you find these dastardly visitors from other planets, <laughs> you know? And, and it turned out to be really fascinating because machine learning keeps getting smarter, right? Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I'm working on this app and I'm, and I'm just writing it for fun and entertainment. And pretty soon it, it's, it's starting to find things like orange negative blood types and it's starting to, and so I'm feeding, I'm feeding it all this, all this data to make it smarter. Right. And, and pretty soon the image recognition is getting smarter and smarter and the fact, and being able to load it down to a, to a room, to a local device, like an iPhone mm -hmm. is really valuable because you never know when you're going to run into an alien, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, so I want to set a little bit of context here for the listeners. So uh, there is what is called RH negative blood types. It is a, you know, it is a human blood type that is negative for the Reese's monkey gene. I believe that's, that's actually what it is. Yeah. And, uh, and that gene is present in most of the human population. So most people have their RH positive, but there is a very small minor percentage of the population that is RH negative. And in fact, the RH negative and RH positive people can't even potentially interbreed properly. Um, and there's many like health issues and complications of this. I think recent, in recent times, like recently, we figured out certain ways to mitigate this so that someone who's RH positive and RH negative can have a child uh, together. But there are risks and complications that can arise. So we do have you know, we do have this unexplained RH negative bloodline present on earth. And there is a, there is a distinct population that has this unique trait and we don't know how it got here. 
Yeah, thanks for explaining that because I didn't, I didn't want to just brush past that. It's, it's fascinating. I found that some scientists believe that the RH negative groups could be descendants from aliens. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was interesting to, this, to me. And then I discovered a website where only RH negative people date each other, like for what, the reason you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They put, and I got all their photographs and put it up into Watson. <laughs> and, then, and then pretty soon, pretty soon this, this, this app is, is able to uh, detect things like that. Yeah. And if, hey, if it keeps getting smart enough, maybe you won't need to send in your blood or your spit. <laughs> no, you can just, you know, we'll put ancestry out of, out of business or something. Well, and I mean, this has so many different philosophical, ethical, like questions and implications that this arises because, you know, you can use facial recognition technology and, you know, machine learning like you have to create this app to be able to identify a very specific set of people. I was just watching, uh, just, I just saw something on TV the other night about how the Chinese government is actually using this. There's a certain population uh, within China that they're using artificial intelligence and surveillance technologies and facial recognition to be able to identify this population. I, I'm probably going to butcher the name and I can't quite remember it, but um, you know, this is already being used by a government to surveil people. Um, so you know, there are ethical implications of this, but in your case, you built this for fun. This was this was, you know, th- there is definitely something scientifically going on here that we don't understand. But, right. you know, you built, you were able to leverage machine learning to be able to identify a population using physical characteristics that we as humans couldn't even identify. The, the machines had to figure it out. Right, right. And, and then also because of, with style transfer effects, mm-hmm. I'm able to take this alien, this person, and can kind of like show what they really look like. Yeah, and put them on their own planet using <laughs> death mask, <laughs> combining death mask. It's like, like, see this guy right here. Yeah, yeah. So and I, and he was, a, he's a salesman, and he, and he said, "Well, try it on me." And so, like, boom, there he is. And here's what he looked like normally, right? Yeah. And so with the stuff, so so people go, "What the heck?" So not only do you identify them and certify them as aliens, <laughs> what they look like on some planets, you know, yeah. and getting really good at finding all these planets that they could potentially come from. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, how fun is that, right? This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically they give us a machine and we run a dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. With DigitalOcean, they have a marketplace where you just click, I want discourse. You provision a droplet and you're good to go. Well, and I'm, it's fascinating. I mean, we, we now have technology like this at our fingertips. I mean, how, from a programming standpoint, can you walk us through a little bit of like what it took to, to create this? Yeah, I mean, well, so what I did was I, on, there's, there's a technology in the cloud for, from IBM called Watson. You know, he's the guy that, that won Jeopardy, beat the two champions on Jeopardy. 
And that same technology is now available for programmers to upload images to for image recognition models. And you can you can train lots of stuff up there, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did first of all is I got I got it all set up on IBM Watson and I started publishing these photos to classify them and identify, you know, what they were. Then I took that model and I wrote an app and, and it uses uh, core ML and, and stuff and it downloads when those models change, it downloads them to the device. Okay. So I had to write the software to do that. And then I actually wrote about that in, on medium on how I did that. I wrote a whole article on how that, how I programmed that and gave them sample code and stuff. Then I thought, well, what the heck, why can't I take style transfer effects, you know, like on Prisma and stuff. So I started going on to Google and started training all these style transfer models. I got like two, I got, I got 200 models. <laughs> so I got IBM and Google and Apple and everybody. And then I, and I thought, what if I could combine style transfer effects with depth masks, where I only applied the style of transfer effect to that part of the image, the person, not the background, right? And then I can take that person, turn him into an alien, <laughs> use face recognition, put eyes on him and stuff, and then put him on, on a planet. Now he's suddenly standing on a planet, you know, like, okay, you're busted, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the coding. I wrote that in uh, Swift. Awesome. Anyway, so that, and that's, uh, and that's where, and then I, for some weird reason, I started exploring, I started wondering, well, maybe there's more to this. You know, why can, why, why can I identify RH negative people? And what is it about our history that we don't know? Mm -hmm. and, and you sent me some links and then other people sent me links and I'm researching all this weird stuff. And well, what did, uh, what did Aristotle say? He said, it's, it's the, uh, it's it's a trained mind that is willing that is able to uh, you know you know to contemplate or consider mm -hmm. ideas or you know or things without actually accepting them, but at least have an open mind, right? So I'm thinking, okay, well, and then the more you look at it, the more you realize how fascinating this is, you know, and why there's so many people that are interested in this. Yeah, I mean, I've. I've been going down a similar rabbit hole myself. Uh, I've been studying Graham Hancock and ancient civilizations, looking at some of his work, uh, Gobli Beck Tempe, like it's an ancient site that's like 11,000 plus years old that we discovered that like completely disrupts the entire like historical timeline of what we've been told of like when people had civilization and were like working together in groups and like accomplishing things like we thought that was, I don't know, like maybe 6,000 years ago. Turns yeah. out it's way, like we've now found megalithic sites that are 11, 12,000 years old that completely disrupt that narrative. It, that is just false. Like we now know that, you know, these megaliths were being built by an advanced civilization to the enough that, you know, they were able to align structures due north um, they were able to build, you know, complex structures that would have taken hundreds of people. Like the whole idea that we were hunter gatherers 12,000 years ago is just not true. And we, we found evidence of this and there's been a number of authors and a number of, you know, geologists and all these other archeologists who have, you know, been finding these discoveries and realizing, 
hey, there's way more to human history and ancient civilizations than what we've been told. Yeah, yeah, that's, and I've been, yeah, I mean, there's this guy on Bright Insight, his name's Jimmy. Mm-hmm. He's got this knack of finding stuff, you know, and, and, and finding things that are, that other, you know, and, and he's got like 72 million views or something on YouTube. Yeah, he's and, got a big channel. But nobody knows his last name. <laughs> and, and aliens only use one name. So <laughs> I checked him with his app and yeah, he's a alien. <laughs> so, uh, I, but you know what would be really cool? Is if so? There's a girl named Iris Kramer from Southampton, in England. Mm-hmm. She's an archaeologist, right? And she then started studying in her when she went in her masters. She started studying computers and, and machine learning, and she wants to be able to apply artificial intelligence to archaeology. You know, connect the dots. Wouldn't that be cool if we could use AI to take all this stuff from all around the world? You know, that everybody, and, and we start connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. And so we can do more identification instead of verification. You know, let the, let the scientists do the verification and let AI do all the grunt work, right? Think of the things we might find, you know? So now with this stupid app that I started out, now I'm, now I'm starting to plug in all this, <laughs> <laughs> all this archaeological hieroglyphs and pyramids and things like that. See what, we, see what it spots that I can't, I don't have no idea what it's going to find, right? And, and that's the crazy thing is there are pyramids and structures all over the planet that we just don't know how they got there. And we have, no, there. We, we have no historical context for some of them. We don't know how to date them. Um, we're constantly finding like cities in the jungle in South America and like old yeah. structures. And we're like finding like hidden, like, you know, pyramids under the water in the ocean in the Caribbean, like, there's just so many things that like, just we're like, wh- where did all this stuff come from? And if we use AI to analyze this, yes, the AI may be able to find patterns that us as human beings are missing because we don't have that kind of mathematical analytical skill that these algorithms, algorithms in the machine learning systems have. And maybe we're not, we're not allowed to, maybe, you know, because of our biases, Mm-hmm. You know, machine learning doesn't care about that. Yep. But that would be that would be amazing if we could if we could. I think it's a perfect application for machine learning. I I mean I and I, you know, you sent me, um, and you sent me an article on, on the hollow moon. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I and I started laughing. <laughs> it's like this is the stupidest. <laughs> this is stupid, right? And so, but I started researching it and, 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 you know, and, and, and you said, well, uh, okay, so here's the moon and the sun and, and from the earth and they're all, they're the same size mm-hmm. and the moon can create a perfect eclipse. 99.9% covers the sun, right? Yep. And yet the sun is 400 million miles away and here's the moon. Why is it the same size, right? Mm-hmm. And why is it in a perfect circular orbit? And why does it help sustain life on Earth? So I wrote this article on, ha- on Hacker Noon called Our Funny Artificial Moon. <laughs> because to me, it was funny, you know. But then the more you look at it, the more you realize, if you go to NASA and you ask them, how is it possible that the sun and the moon are the same size and we have this perfect eclipse and it helps, they can't, they can't conceive of the possibility that intelligence might have been involved here. It's coincidence. It's the science of coincidence. And that's not a good answer. No. It's not. 
Yeah. It makes no sense. Uh, it, you know, and so the article I sent you, they sent a, they actually shot a rocket into the moon and the moon rang like a bell. Yeah. They, well, the moon, <laughs> the, yeah, the Apollo astronauts, when they left, they took their lander and shot it back into the, into yeah. the moon. And the moon rang like a bell, and rang we like bell. had no idea why. <laughs> what um, is that about? <laughs> like, it, it, you know, so the, I, I recently, I think I might have sent you, there was a TED Talk that I watched recently where they had a new theory on how the moon may have actually been formed from the Earth's core. Yeah. Uh, and how that may have happened after, like, some major collision with another planet or a major asteroid. And, like, it's it's a good theory, like, it's fascinating. I, I don't know if that's how it actually happened, but uh, you know, that's we're, we're we're grasping at straws here, trying to yep. figure out like how does our moon even exist? So there's anomalies like that where you know m- the moon is mathematically in a perfect place, <laughs> right? It's perfect, like mathematically perfect. Where it's located, how it's located, how it goes around the Earth. Like, how do you achieve such perfection in nature? Yeah, I watched that video, by the way, on, on Ted. Yeah, that was and a weird there's one. A lot, right? There's a whole bunch of harebrained ideas on where <laughs> the moon came from. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it, it didn't really make sense to me. I mean, the moon has a different, whole different mass, and the density is 60% of it. it did, I didn't buy it. Yeah, it was a stretch. Um, I, it... It was an interesting theory. I mean, one of the other unique things about the moon is it has the same signature of elements as the Earth. So other moons in other solar systems we've discovered and with asteroids, like often, like they're not made of the same ingredients. So the moon is, you know, often of another planet is often made of a different like set of stones and a different set of, you know, atoms. And it's not the same materials as the planet that it's orbiting because often they're, you know, the result of asteroids and, you know, other things that eventually culminate in becoming a moon. Right. So our moon is unique in that it matches the earth's like geological signature perfectly. Well, there was these scientists, I think it was MIT that now are saying the moon is older than we thought. Yeah. And so maybe it's really old. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, there's a, there's a number of theories here. And this brings me back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode is simulation theory. Can yeah. you kind of explain what simulation theory is in a little more detail uh, for the audience to kind of get a grasp of it from your perspective? Sure. I mean, well, Elon Musk has done a pretty good job. He's, he's a believer, you know. <laughs> and the idea is that I wrote a book called Base. It's about base reality. It's a science fiction novel based in Kauai. And I, 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 I came up, I don't I, came, I, was, I had a weird experience in Kauai when I was mountain biking, and that's why. Tell this story, I, I like this one. You want me to tell <laughs> you? When I, so, I was, so there's a trail in Kauai called the Powerline King Kong Trail. It goes from the North Shore to the Kapa'a, to the middle of the island. And it's a tough trail. I, I mean, when I was young, I could ride it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's slippery, they call it, you know. So but anyway, I was riding up through this trail, and suddenly this monk, this old monk, ran across the trail in front of me, and he was followed by a tiger. And I was thinking, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> and then he looks back at me, and his teeth are all nice and shiny, you know, and he, and he waves at me. And then the tiger looks back at me, and I'm just like, what did I just see, you know? So I, so I go back to town where I got these friends that have a bike shop down in Kapa'a. I said, you're not going to believe what I saw. 
I saw a monk with a tiger. And they're going, what? You know, <laughs> and I, there's, there's no monks. There's no tigers in Kauai, right? And I said, no, they're, I, I'm telling you. So, so they were, so then I decided to look into it and I found that there's a, there's a big monastery. It's like 300 acres uh, on, on the other side of Sleeping Giant Mountain. Mm-hmm. They, shipped, they created these temples that they shipped everything from Bangladesh. And I got invited to this ceremony for some reason. And I, and I go into there and I go in there with all these monks and I'm sure enough, they got monks and they got tigers and stuff. Right. <laughs> so, so I, I'm sitting there and this old friend of mine is the head of the Hindu church. He's the guru diva or whatever they call it. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting up there and I, and I, and then I grabbed this monk and I said, you're not supposed to grab monks, but <laughs> grab him. Right. <laughs> I, said, I know that guy is my old, he's an old ski bum. He was from Alta, Utah. We used to ski together. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no. And why did I get invited? But anyway, anyway, so I got invited and I took my family and, and it was a great experience. And then he died later. He died about a year later. And these two monks came to my door and they said, that was your friend. You know, and he just wanted you to be there. But <laughs> anyway, so I, I kind of got sidetracked, but I, but I, but so seeing this, I thought something isn't real. Something about this whole, this whole reality thing isn't right. And so simulated reality is a theory that we are living in a computer simulation, mm-hmm. that the earth as we know it is really simulated. Some really advanced civilization from the future created a, created a computer game, so, so, so a virtual reality. And we go there for whatever reason, maybe to learn, maybe it's education or whatever, right? Yep. And that's the theory of simulated reality. And it seems to answer a whole kinds of questions because you think of the universe as data as opposed to matter and time and space. And that was the argument that Bohr and Einstein got into. You know, Einstein believed that we lived in the base reality and, and Elon Musk and these guys are saying, no, the odds of us living in the base reality are millions to one. We can't, it's yeah. impossible, you know? And so anyway, I wrote a book about that and that's, and I don't know, maybe the, I, you know, maybe that helps explain some of this stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and it, it also comes back to the idea of uh, aliens a little bit as well, because, you know, the odds that we're alone in the universe just doesn't seem logical. If you do the Earth's math, paradox. yeah, it, it doesn't seem logical. But at the same time, if this is a simulation and this is simulation theory, that would be a logical explanation for why there potentially wouldn't be alien life. Because right. We're in a system where alien life wouldn't exist because it was possibly created by aliens. Right. <laughs> so, it's not necessary. Then, which would then also kind of make us the aliens. Yeah, well, and we, right, we could be from the future. The real, and the question that, that those, and that's what these guys, in, these guys that want to live forever, the mm-hmm. Silicon Valley billionaires, the, my question was, well, okay, but are you a player? Or are you just a, you know, just an avatar? <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. Do you have admin privileges or are you just, a, just a user? Are you actually a player from the future or are you just part of the game? Yeah. You know, whoa, that's, that's a tough question. I mean, it's, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is like the source of consciousness. Like where does consciousness come from? Because if you can kind of answer that question, that will give you a, maybe a clue as to what's going on with our reality and what's going on here. Because 
from what I understand and what I've been like kind of researching lately is the human body is actually a receiver of consciousness rather than a physical representation of it. So like, it's not like you can cut open the brain and be like, okay, that's where consciousness lives. It's like, if you cut open the brain, like you've just destroyed the receiver and it's, it's damaged and now it doesn't work and you're dead. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a theory that we're more of a receiver and the human body itself is basically like this giant antenna to be able to receive consciousness from some kind of like universal source. And I mean, that's, that's literally what some religions and some belief systems call it. They call it the source, um, which, which does lead to the idea of simulation theory. Like there is a source of consciousness. The right. human body is then receiving that consciousness and then that's what animates us and allows us to live. But then there's so many other questions of how or who or what, what caused all this? Is it a God? Is it an alien? Are we in some kind of artificial intelligence matrix? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, that's a fascinating. It, well, simulated reality explains all that stuff. So some it, makes, all, it, it all makes sense, you know, the double slit experiment and all these things that nobody can explain. And I was at my son's house and I had on his simulated and then his virtual reality thing, you know, he's got this real fancy one. And I was exploring the rings of Saturn and I fell asleep and I was dreaming. Yeah. And I woke up and I was back at Saturn <laughs> and somebody smacked me and I'm back. <laughs> so yeah. where is consciousness, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, that's. We don't know. I mean, that, know. Yeah. that's one of the greatest mysteries of this life is like, where, where is consciousness? Uh, yeah. And that, that leads to, you know, like I said, where are, are we in a simulated reality? What, what is this? Because I mean, like when I've been studying quantum mechanics and quantum theory, like it's crazy. Like <laughs> it doesn't make sense based on our current understanding of physics. Like I've been recently studying a lot about plasma fields and like plasma energy and how plasma works. And like for the listeners listening, I'll put this as simply as possible. Plasma is the, is the force state of matter. So you have liquid, you have solids, you have gas. And then the fourth state of matter is plasma. Why this is not taught in like our education systems and stuff, I do not know. But our universe and our sun and all of these things use plasma fields on a regular daily basis. You yeah. go outside and you get a sunburn, that's plasma. Um, so we live in this universe filled with plasma and all these other ingredients and all of these other things that we we don't even, we take for granted, we don't even really think about them on a daily basis. But there are, you know, they, there are these things that just, they don't make sense. And when you look at the historical timeline of humanity is when it gets really kind of interesting because you start seeing these pyramids, you see these megalithic structures, structures we can't build today. Like right. stones that we don't have the machinery or the technology to be able to lift right now that were put in place by a previous ancient civilization. Like, right. how did they do that? And why don't we know more about it? Why haven't we been studying those things more? What's taken us so long? You know? I don't know. It, it, we seem to almost be going backwards in time rather than forward. Like, okay, we're having this conversation on Zoom across the internet. Like, we have some amazing technology at, yeah. this, at, at this point in our historical timeline of what humanity is. But... We can't move giant stones 
Like we can't do some basic things that our ancestors were able to do with no problem apparently. And how far back did they go? Did they go to the edge of the the ice age, 100,000 years? I mean, we, I, that's why I think, I agree with Lisa. I mean, why not use artificial intelligence to study this stuff, you know? Maybe yeah. it's like ET versus AI or something. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just find out what the heck is going on, you know? Well, and the, like, there's a crazy one, uh, which is star forts. And these things are baffling. They've been showing up since the, like, they're in the historical timeline since, like, the 1500s. They were literally forts that are shaped in like star-like configurations. They almost look like ninja stars from above. And we have no explanation for how they got here. And like they're all over the United States. They're all over Europe. Uh, it's even theorized that the Statue of Liberty is built on top of a former star fort. Did they know and who made them? We've, we don't know. There's, there's like no history on these buildings. It's totally, it's just this anomaly in the historical timeline and I, I don't, I can't tell you who made them. I can't tell you why they were made. I mean, from a historical like standpoint, technologically, they were likely designed due to how you could position cannons um, and gunfire so that, you know, you could have different angles to be able to cover all the different angles within the fort. Um, so clearly they were built at a time when cannons and gunfire were present and available. And that was likely why they were designed the way that they were designed. Um, but who built them? I mean, they're in the United States of America and some of these structures potentially predate, you know, Columbus getting here. How many are there? Did you say a couple hundred? Uh, I think we've identified, I think there there's been like almost 300 identified. See, that's a perfect application for machine learning. We could plug all these sites in and take and take all this information and see if we can't connect the dots. Mm -hmm. Find out what's, how, how are they related? How are they, how, what is the correlation between all these things? You know, who built them? Who built them? Why were they built? I I mean, we've got buildings and structures in the United States of America where like the architectural style just doesn't make sense. My, My greatest favorite example of this is like, if you go back and look at photos from like the 1800s and look at post offices from the 1800s, and like, there are these like amazing, like architectural, like works of art. I mean, like, you know, they, they're almost cathedrals and they're post offices. Like when did the US postal system ever have the money or the financing to build these like glorious, amazing buildings? <laughs> yeah. No sense. That's a good question. Many of these buildings stand to this day and they're in our major cities in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in New York, and we're, it's like, how is that a post office? They're fantastic. Um, yeah. And we should probably run some machine learning algorithms and say, hey, why is this a post office? <laughs> <laughs> how did this, you know, like what decision made that was made to start building these like Roman Greco buildings that are like these massive structures? And that's the other thing that's always confused me is like, how did they light and heat these buildings? Yeah. It, it, you know, I've studied a little bit about it and it's very likely they were using natural gas uh, and they had gas, natural gas systems built throughout some of these structures and they were using like chimneys and, uh, and gas to be able to light furnaces and that kind of thing to create light and stuff during the night and during cold seasons. But I mean, we know 
like go to Philadelphia during the winter. It gets pretty cold. Um, So, you know, what, if you're working in that post office in the 1800s, like (laughs) you're going to want a source of heat. Um, You'd otherwise you'd potentially freeze to death. So it's very odd that we have all these buildings, all these structures, even in our modern society, many of these structures are still exist. They're still in our cities today. And we don't really understand where they came from or why. Yeah. Why, who would, why the expense? Yeah. It, it, these are buildings that if they were built today would cost billions of dollars, like at least hundreds of millions of dollars, some of these structures. So, you know, you have to look at inflation and look at like what resources would people who are moving around on horse and buggies like <laughs> have to go build these structures. <laughs> right. Like, cause that's what we're told. That's what like the narrative is, is that the, you know, these horseback riding people from the wild West were building these glorious post offices. <laughs> <laughs> what for? Yeah. It, it's, it, it's bizarre. Um, yes, so there's, yeah, that's a good one. Yes, there's there's all kinds of little anomalies like this. Even the city I'm in in San Francisco, like I've been researching San Francisco's history quite a bit, and it's very confusing. Um, th- there seems to be like time missing or something from the timeline. Because, yeah. You know, there something was there first. There was definitely something here first, and I, I think I, I think I've at least clued in that it wasn't the Spanish. Um, I think the Spanish came here second. I think there was possibly uh, someone else here first and the Spanish colonialism took place. They might've wiped them out. I don't know. Um, But there was definitely, there was definitely native American populations that were in the Bay area. There was definitely uh, what we would refer to today as Russians. Um, There were populations from Alaska uh, that had moved down into the coastal regions there were other populations here that had established this region long before the Spanish ever showed up long before the mission system. And yeah. like, the mission system was a system of colonialization. It was not a system of like, Oh, let's live in harmony with the natives. It was, you know, let's civilize them. And yeah, let's uh, civilize them. Let's teach them. Yeah. And let's put them in camps uh, <laughs> into our slaves basically. So, uh, you know, it, it and that happened all up and down the entire, like both South America and North America. I mean, Mexico is fascinating. The cities, the architecture, the history, you know, the old ancient Aztecs and Mayans and like some of the stuff that exists down in that area is, yeah. we don't understand it. I'm headed for Peru to see some of this stuff for myself. Yeah. I, I can't wait. Let me know how it goes. Cause, uh, <laughs> Good hiking anyway, at least, right? Yeah, I mean, Peru, South America, I mean, there is some amazing, amazing ancient civilizations and artifacts and megaliths and structures, and we're still pulling this stuff out of the forest. We don't know how it got there. And they have good surfing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, who invented that stupid (laughs) (laughs) So let's bring this back to, you know, we've gone on a bit of a tangent here, but... Uh, you know, let's bring this back to AI and machine learning. And like, we, we can actually use these tools to figure out who we are. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and I think, and that's a noble con, noble goal. Yeah. 
why not try to apply this to our history, our ancient history? Mm -hmm. And I love this. I just, that to me, this is exciting. You know, yeah. what a fun project. So I start out catching aliens and now I'm trying to figure out, well, where the heck are they? <laughs> you know, who are these ancient people on earth and stuff, right? Yeah. And I think it, and my, anyway, my knowledge of computer science is, um, I'm a computer scientist, you know, and I, and I'm looking at archeology span and I'm thinking, what a great, you know, we're using now, we're using Watson for diagnostics of diseases and things, right? And all kinds of stuff. Well, this is a, this is a great application for Absolutely. artificial intelligence. Let's, let's use it and let's, let's, let's speed up our learning process. You know, let's get smarter, faster and see if we can't rewrite our history. <laughs> let's get it right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, one of the last things I want to talk about before we wrap this up is like, you know, the, the one thing that comes to mind is Atlantis. Um, you know, we, we've got these stories, you know, you have this description of Atlantis from Plato. Uh, you know, there's all these theories about, you know, where Atlantis might've been. That's another perfect application for machine learning is can you take the description of Atlantis from Plato and run that through, you know, machine learning to see if we can identify or find, you know, the description, something that matches that description. I know there's theories that the, uh, the Reichardt structure, the eye of the Sahara might have potentially been the uh, original site of Atlantis, but it still seems like something that machine learning could potentially help us with. Yeah, and, I, and also we know that we now know that like 12,800 years ago, a comet struck mm -hmm. the Earth and and it, and it wiped a lot of this stuff out. You know, yep. and maybe that's what was maybe I don't know maybe that's what happened to Atlantis. Mm -hmm. And so if you can take that information, and you can take all the writings from the from the, from you know, and you can gather. I, it's just a matter. What it is, it's a matter of feeding data into it, into a learning model, a machine learning model, mm -hmm. and seeing what, if they can, seeing what it can come up with. It's like RH negative. I, you know, who would have thought that was possible? Yeah. It is possible, you know? This gets, these, this stuff, it, you know, it's a great tool. And yeah. maybe we could, maybe we could pinpoint things, you know? Instead of testing all the time. The Hindus have some amazing structures and temples um, that are just, rich with symbology and you know hieroglyphs and all kinds of things yeah uh, as well i mean the, there's multiple cultures and civilizations all over the planet from china to india to africa to europe to the even the united states and south america um and russia included um you know there's there even australia uh like we don't fully understand how or where the aboriginals came from they were, came up, they were that they, they were a long time ago, 130,000 years. Yeah, and there has and we've even found Aboriginal DNA in South American populations. Wow! Don't know how it got there because there's an ocean between Australia and South America. <laughs> yeah. so, you know yeah. how did they cross that? Um, so there's a lot of unknowns about our past. But well, anyways, yeah. this is the Hacker Noon podcast. So I've got to ask, what is some time in your life that you've had to hack something? So, well, so I'm kind of, so I'm actually famous because I wrote an, I wrote a program called hard runner mm -hmm. and back in when first, when, when they first introduced Lotus one, two, three, you had to plug a floppy disk 
uh, into your computer in order to use the app. And I thought, well, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, so I wrote a little, you know, I, I wrote a little hacker, you know, I think called Hard Runner, and you could just, and then you no longer had to put the floppy in in order to run Lotus One Two Three. Mm-hmm. So, and it, and it was like it was one, it was uh, Editor's Choice Award on PC Magazine. So then Lotus threatened to sue me if I didn't pull it. Then they came out with their own version of it, but it was a good hack. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> people loved it. I, you know, ed, you know, Editor's Choice Award, but I had to pull it because I didn't want to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best kinds of hacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, it's just fun talking to you. This is. I think you and I kind of connect on all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to meet with somebody who who gets it. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many unknowns, and it's. It's like, I just wish people were a little more curious about this stuff because yeah, well, just ask questions. Ask questions. It, they uh, should be curious because there's a lot to be curious about here. And you know? maybe machine learning and the app you're working on and some of these ideas and anyone who's listening to this, like maybe we can use technology to answer some of these questions. That's right. And at the very least, you can use it as a pickup app. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. son's working on a funny video. <laughs> He's an actor. So where can people find you? Uh, well, I created a website called notfrom.earth. And that talks about this app. And, awesome. And like well, I said, my son's an actor. He's on Young and the Restless and stuff. And he's working on a funny video about using the app to go around and check to see if girls are aliens or not. <laughs> Only he would come up with something like that. <laughs> it's surprisingly effective. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's... It's a pretty interesting pickup uh, technique there. <laughs> yeah. Are you an alien? <laughs> yeah. Well, in Venice Beach, they're all aliens. <laughs> I think we've got a, quite a few of them in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show, and I look forward to more of your writing and seeing what happens with your app. Thanks a lot, Trent. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.